0: You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's time to talk about cybercrime, and I'm going to speak to Samantha Rule, Head of Cyber and Information Security at 91 in Cape Town. Now, Samantha, the first thing that strikes me is that probably 10 years ago, the title of the job that you have that I've just read out probably didn't exist. Is that true?
1: So, no, 100%. So the title of, you know, Head of Information and Cybersecurity or Chief Information Security Officer was not as common as you would find it these days. The need for individuals to head up Those types of teams within organisations has definitely increased with just in general the increase in cybercrime that we've seen globally.
0: And speaking of which, it's actually quite funny that these protection things keep on popping up on my laptop. I mean, one has just come up as we started the conversation from a company that I won't name, but it says here, your protection has expired. Don't leave your devices exposed to viruses. Unprotected devices are perfect targets for cyber criminals. Shield yourself from millions of cyber threats by choosing the company name today. Now, it just seems to me, I know nothing about this subject, which is great because I'm going to learn. It just seems to me that cyber crime is proliferating almost like a virus. And I would say that it's hundreds of thousands of cyber attacks, maybe more per day, Samantha.
1: That's 100%. You have it 100% correct. The amount of cyber attacks that we see in just, you know, not, not, specifically against 91 but what we've seen and tracking across the globe is astronomical you know you're receiving notifications of potential um you know individuals looking to see if there's any vulnerabilities that you have and that they can sort of knock on the door and use that to exploit and and gain access so i think it will be in your best interest to potentially renew or update that anti-malware that's telling you it's expired
0: Yeah, I think I probably will have to bite the bullet and do so. The other thing with my layman's knowledge is that I imagine that the hundreds of thousands that uh, occur every day are probably thwarted. No one hears about them. But there are high profile attacks on maybe a a government, a military installation, uh, a huge financial services organisation that do make it to the news. Is that also the case?
1: hundred percent. So what's interesting around the cybercrime industry, if you want to call it that, because it is an industry. If you have a look and you read up, you'll see it is one of the top money-making industries, and which is one of the reasons why there are so many attempts around um, compromising systems and gaining access to businesses because of the amount of money which cybercriminals can make. So what we would refer to, as you mentioned, the proliferation of the cyber attacks, you know, if we see against government institutions and we see against sort of control centers like your power, your water groups, et cetera, you know, those we would normally say the people behind those is what we would refer to as a nation state attack. So that is where sort of there are criminal sort of circles and gangs, which are actually sponsored by governments to gain access and to compromise these services within another country. So it really is an interesting industry to be in not only for assets protecting, but also just to to follow how these sort of attacks occur.
0: Yeah, so I was gonna ask you about who are the perpetrators of cybercrime later on, and I still will, but give us the cold hard facts. I mean, I glibly threw out hundreds of thousands. Can you give us proper stats, please?
1: Sure, um, so I think the first one, which I find most interesting is, we're probably looking at about 95% of all cybersecurity breaches, it's actually caused by human error. So that's you or me or anybody in a business that potentially, you know, clicks on an email that is a phishing email and they either provide access to a, a cyber criminal or they provide information which they shouldn't to a party that should not be receiving that information. Interesting. Um yeah, and as we chatted about earlier as well, um you know, most of these breaches, the reason why these the cyber crime is happening is because it's financially motivated. I think one of the interesting stats which I saw come out earlier this year was that the cost of a data breach, so that could just be somebody sending an email incorrectly, you know, to the wrong recipient or, you know, providing information to a third party that shouldn't have that information. You know, the cost of that potential breach is about $4.3 million. And that's sort of stats that you will see coming through a number of organizations. I think the other one is, you know, you probably asked me as well is, you know, what are the obvious types of attacks? You know, you get obviously very sophisticated. Also, I might read in the news around these sophisticated types of cyber attacks. And sometimes they're actually not that sophisticated at all. If you go back to the first stat where I mentioned around 95% of, you know, sort of breaches occur because of the human error. And a lot of that is sort of because of social engineering. So that is sort of gaining somebody's trust, you think you know the individual, the person knows you, and you provide them with information that they shouldn't have.
0: Well, this is what I was going to ask. You talk about human error and um, I was going to ask you about social engineering because I hadn't heard that term before. But what you're saying is that I could get an email. I get so many emails. I get emails from spoof people Post office and courier firm websites or, or something that is purporting to be a website saying, you know, you've got to pay X amount of money to release your package. And, I, you know, at Christmas time and play, times like that, you think, do, did I really order that? Or Maybe I did. So you're stupid <laughs> enough to give them your details. That is a cyber crime as well, is it?
1: Yes, because ultimately, you know, you providing. So is it really the post office? If I think if you're in South Africa, it probably is not the post office. No, because it's not. many people are still looking for the post office. But if you're in the UK or somewhere like that, then, you know, potentially it could be the post office. If you first just take one step back quickly. So what is actual social engineering? Because, you know, it sounds like a really heavy technical term around the engineering part. But ultimately, it's the social aspect that's been sort of pried on. So if we look at that, so what is it? It's really Really, just the art of manipulating and influencing and deceiving you into making you know some sort of action so providing information that's potentially the action or even clicking on something so you know those types of emails and to be honest like you said you receive hundreds of these emails daily and you know you sort of read something you think oh did I did I order this yes. and you click on the link and you potentially you know it could be a sort of the page that pops up could be something it looks like a banking site or you know something like like if your courier service, or even like an Amazon or something like that, and you then provide information thinking that you're logging into your trusted sort of courier or online platform, and ultimately it's not. It's a fraudulent website where the sort of attackers have then captured your email address and your password, which they can then use to sort of you know gain access potentially to your email or sort of get further information without you even knowing
0: yeah it's interesting i would describe that actually as grooming and there are so many vulnerable people samantha that will fall for it elderly people people that are not as savvy as you are that sort of thing and they you know they have a look and they say oh dear i owe these people money click and away you go you're ripped off let's talk more about business now if we can business email compromise or bec what is that
1: yeah, so that is still – so business email compromise, and especially in the for the financial services um, and organizations. Um, so your business email compromise is really – it's a type of cybercrime where the scammer uses an email to trick somebody into sending their money or sort of giving confidential company information. So you know you receive that email that says, you know, Dear Sam, you urgently need to respond to this email. I don't have access to my bank details, but I need you to, you know, send me a wire transfer. So it's this urgency. It's this, you know, it, it sort of makes you stand up because it's like, okay, I need to help my boss. My boss has asked for this information and I do this transaction immediately. So... All of these attacks are financially motivated. So, you know, the attackers can cast a very wide net. Um, They know that people respond, especially if it's coming from somebody that they sort of trust. So there's a trust relationship between me and my boss. And they sort of pry on that to get you to respond to the business email compromise. They say it's one of the most costly cyber attacks. And they actually say that the amount of money which cyber criminals can make and do make from a business email compromise outshines the amount of money which the ransomware gangs are making, which is quite scary if we think about the amount of, you know, in the news you, would, you always see around companies being compromised due to ransomware and the amount of money that it costs them. So it's really, from a cybercriminal aspect, it pays for them.
0: Tell me about ransomware as well, because that's something that I have read about on various websites and, um, and listened to on podcasts and things like that. What yeah. exactly is it? And uh, once you know what it is, how do you stop it?
1: Sure, that's a very important question. That so, um, so ransomware, you know, sort of again, so your initial entry of compromise would come via email. So, the same way that you sort of receive that phishing email where it says, please click on this link or please download this application, and again, it's sort of coming from somebody that you know you potentially could know. You click on that email, you then download and you install unknowingly actually install applications as well. That can happen as well. And basically what happens is the piece of malware comes down onto your laptop or and then sort of looks to spread using what we would refer to as sort of vulnerabilities or opportunities within systems where maybe there's not such great security that's been put inside. So it basically uses these vulnerabilities to start to move laterally across organizations. And then what it does is it starts to encrypt the data on the machines so if you think about it that basically what happens is you open up a file and literally you just open up a word document and the next thing you see a website that pops up that says you're now a victim of ransomware and to gain access to your machine it's going to cost you and then they will say you know one and a half thousand bitcoin um, or hmm. something like that. So to try and prevent yourself from becoming a victim of ransomware, there's obviously around the awareness, around sort of making sure that you don't just install things or open up emails from people you don't know. There's a sort of a lot of awareness you need to do around sort of the social aspect. But then on the technical level, you know, the main thing to do in the event that you are a victim of ransomware, sort of before that happens, you need to make sure, one, that you've got backups so that you're data that is sitting on your laptop or on your company's servers that it's backed up and that we would refer to as immutables which means it's written once because the whole thing with ransomware is you don't want it to overwrite your backups, because then you cannot recover. And then some organizations, unfortunately, find themselves in the position where they then have to pay the ransom to gain access back to their data. The other interesting thing that's happened with ransomware these days is that what's happening is they're actually not even encrypting. So they're not doing the ransom so much as in the encryption of the machines and the data. They're doing the extortion. So what happens is you receive an email to say that you're now a victim of ransomware, and you need to pay the ransom to basically get your data back. And if you don't pay the ransom to get your data back, which is the extortion component, that, you you know, they will basically publish information that – Sam's organization is a victim of ransomware and the information is made available and will be sold on the dark net.
0: I understand that now. One point I'd like to make, which you don't have to answer. It seems to me that cyber attacks are becoming more and more sophisticated and the people that try and thwart them have to keep up with that sophistication. That's the first thing. But this is a question and very brief answer, if you would. The perpetrators are they highly sophisticated criminal gangs doing it for their own personal gain are they employed by rogue nations in order to have an attack on another country that they perceive to be an enemy? Tell us a little bit about that if you could
1: sure so very quickly it's a combination of all of them so what we would refer to as you know opportunistic so those will be your not your sophisticated Cyber gangs these will just be individuals that potentially see an opportunity to make some money. then you get your cyber gangs which are part of your nation states. so these are sophisticated gangs. these are cyber gangs that are sponsored by governments to gain access to another government's you know systems like I mentioned electricity
0: yeah. you
1: know we saw it two years ago with the colonial pipeline. In the US, we saw what happened there. We saw where basically the pipeline that supplied gas to the East Coast, they were a victim of ransomware. They could not get gas anywhere up and down the East Coast, which saw people go into panic states. We saw the price of gas shoot up. We saw, you know, there was rioting and all of that happened in less than a week.
0: I think they paid the ransom, didn't they, Samantha?
1: They did. That's correct. They did. And then there was what was quite interesting was because that was done by an affiliate. It's, it's a very complex ransomware and ransom gangs. And the way that the whole industry works is very complicated because you even get affiliates. You get mm. organizations that literally just make ransomware, so the actual malware itself. And then you get an affiliate which buys the ransom software to basically install and to get it onto victims' machines. So what what the agreement is now, after what they saw with the Colonial Pipeline and the impact to people's lives, is that they said that when they provide the ransomware software to these affiliates, that they will also make sure what organisations are being targeted. So (laughs) it was quite interesting they came out of that experience.
0: Very final question, and again, a quick answer if you can. How many times does 91 get attacked? And are you constantly trying to stop those attacks or put in a software or whatever it is to stop them even getting to 91, if you're allowed to tell me? Yeah.
1: So what I can tell you is that we have multiple layers of defense. We spend a large sum of money on not only just tools, but also various sort of services that are outside of 91 to help maintain and protect our data and our clients' data, and we are literally monitoring everything 24 by seven.
0: Very good, you sound as though you got your work cut out. Samantha, thank you very much for your time. Very, very interesting. That was Samantha Rule, Head of Information Security, Cyber and IT at 91 in Cape Town. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position,